James chapter 5. And I always count it a privilege when I'm able to share the Word of God. And I'm always excited when God lays something on my heart and uh, try to share that with you guys tonight. And tonight I want to preach a message on uh, focusing on fervent prayer. Fervent prayer, something that is very much needed in our churches and in our lives. James chapter 5, starting at verse 13, the Bible says, Is, many, is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Let's pray this evening as we begin. Our dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you once again for the time that we get to spend in your house worshiping you, Lord. And as I open your word now, Lord, I pray that you would just speak through me, Lord, and that I would be able to speak clearly and that uh, you touch hearts tonight. And we pray these things in your son's precious name. Amen. Amen. So here in this passage, uh, it refers to Elias, which is talking about Elijah in the Old Testament. And, you know, so often I read about these prophets, and you look at the miracles that they had and the victories uh, that they had, and so, sometimes you you look at them in another realm of human beings. Like, you think of Elijah, and Elijah is this powerful prophet, and he, in Second Kings 2, it talks about when he went up to heaven in a, in a chariot of fire. It says, and it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that, behold, they, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and part of them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Like, that's amazing to think that Elijah was taken up into heaven. He didn't have to experience death. Or then you think about on, um, in the book of Matthew, when on the Mount of Transfiguration, and this one blows my mind because Jesus Christ is here ministering, and he goes up to the Mount of Transfiguration, and Moses and Elijah appear there, and they're fellowshipping. Could you imagine that you... Jesus Christ is on his earthly ministry, and you're fellowshipping with him on top of that mountain. And Elijah is there with him. And we see him also mentioned throughout the New Testament. Uh, many thought that Jesus was Elijah come back because of the miracles that he was performing. So he had quite the reputation because of the Old Testament scriptures. And from a human standpoint, you know, it's often easy to lift these men that we read about onto a, a higher plateau or a higher plane. But when we look at it from God's standpoint, he's just a human. To God, we're all sinners saved by grace, and we're covered in the righteousness of Christ. And uh, in our passage in verse 17, we see that Elias was a man subject to like passions as we, we are. You know, he was just like us. He went through the same struggles in life, the same temptations, the same anxieties, the same doubts that we would face in our own lives. And yet Elijah here lives a life where he lived and grew in faith. And he learned to pray. 
He learned to depend on God. He learned to live a life where he was in direct communication with God and from God. And that goes to show you in on the Mount Transfiguration. He was that close that he was there on the Mount with Christ. And here in James, in this practical book, we, we often look at James and we know it's so practical, so many applications for our lives. And we're given Elijah as our example of prayer, this man who was taken up in a chariot of fire to heaven, a man who did all these miracles, and he's given as our example and of how to pray, but not any prayer, not any kind of small prayer, but I like how descriptive uh, the passage of Scripture is. It says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Effectual means producing an effect or the effect desired or intended, or having adequate power or force to produce the effect. The means employed were effectual. So what it's saying here is that you pray knowing that God can answer. You know that God's answering prayers. Then it talks about fervent, exhibiting or marked by great intensity of feeling, or very hot, or like a fervent summer, the summer heat, availeth much to produce a result in as a benefit or advantage. And then pray. we see that he also prayed earnestly, um, which also uh, has the idea of vehemently, um, in Luke 22:41, uh, the Bible says, talking about Jesus in the garden, and when he was drawn, withdrawn from them, about a stone's cast, and kneeled down, he prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down, to the ground. So the same idea of Jesus praying in that garden, how he prayed earnestly. As Christians tonight, I want to ask you, how often do we forget to tap into the power of God? How often do we forget to go to God in prayer? You know, naturally, we try to work through things in our lives. You know, this is something that God has been working in my heart about is, what's our prayer life like? You know what began for me was back in March, and we were at Man Up Conference, and uh, we heard news of Pastor Wyatt and Pastor Chris Wyatt's pastor in Cambridge, and he was also my youth pastor, and I grew up knowing him, and uh, he served at Kitchener for many years, and he had a massive stroke, and you know I was I was really hurt by that. I was upset, and it wasn't looking good. The doctors had said it's the worst stroke that he had seen, and um, he was to the point of that the. the where they said on Friday night, they said, you know what, we don't think he's going to pull through it. They called the family, and I, I was uh, pretty devastated by it. And they basically said, even if he pulled through, he would have the lowest quality of life possible. And they and uh, Pastor Stone got up and said, you know what, we need some men that are going to beg God for Chris White tonight. And it was one of the first times in my life where I begged God, and I said, God, you need to, you need to pull him through this. Whatever your plan is, even if some want, say, it might be better if he passes away, it would be easier in his family. I begged God that night to see that Pastor White would uh, pull through. As Christians, how often do we beg God? And for those of you that don't know, Pastor White has pulled through. He's gone through multiple surgery. He is on a road to recovery. Um, he just had a piece of a skull placed back that they removed the... 
um, to help with the swelling. But God performed a miracle in his life that night, and I believe it was because of men at Man Up Conference that night begging God for him. Do we cry out before God? Do we get on our faces still before God in a humble spirit? Uh, Daniel 9, verse 18, talks about um, Daniel here is praying to God, and he says, Oh my God, incline thine ear and hear, open thine eyes, behold our desolations, and the city which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousness, but for thy great mercies. You know, are we going to God for his great mercies in our lives and those around us? You know, we often hear about prayer warriors. If you're a prayer warrior, you know what this church needs? It needs every one of us to be a prayer warrior. You know, we appreciate the prayer warriors, and we appreciate, you know, a lot of people that aren't, a lot of times it's people that aren't physically able to go out and help, but I think they're the most important ones there, tapping into the power of God, begging God to do a work in his church and in his people. And we need to be prayer warriors today. But James here gives us this example of Elijah and how to pray like him. And I want to examine Elijah's life tonight and see how God used him and how his prayer was so effective and how he tapped into the power of God. Uh, so if you turn with me back to 1 Kings, and we're going to look at a few scriptures here uh, throughout the life of Elijah. 1 Kings chapter 16. And first of all, I want you to notice that Elijah lived in a day of wickedness. You know, often we look at our society, our country, the world that we live in, and we're like, man, we live in a wicked day. But we often forget that in the Bible days, they were living in wicked days as well. In 1 Kings chapter 16, starting in verse 30, the Bible says, And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. And it came to pass, as it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. So we see here that, and we know that Ahab is this wicked king. And in that time, people were worshiping Baal. And Baal worship, they would offer incense and burnt sacrifices. And they even at certain times would have human sacrifices. It was a very immoral cult, and they did very immoral things. And in those days, it was a very dark time in Israel's history. We see that um, Ahab's wife Jezebel was killing the prophets of God. And we see them fleeing for their lives. And at one point, Elijah thinks that he's the only remaining prophet. And we see, as we know the passage, and there's, um, I believe, over 800 prophets of Baal, or prophets at that time, in that place. People dedicated to this wicked cult. In 2 Kings 18, verse 17... The Bible says, And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. I think that's so funny because we see how wicked the nation, uh, the uh, Israel was at that nine, 
the northern kingdom was at that time. And Ahab goes, or uh, Elijah appears before Ahab, and he says, are you the one that's troubling us? And as bad as the world is today for us, as, immoral, as much immorality uh, as there is, you know, the world still turns to Christians today and points to us and says, you know what, you guys are what's wrong with the world. And you're the reason the world is in the condition that it is. And how, you know, how dare you take your kids uh, to church? But we see here that even in, in Elijah's time, in that wicked time, and even though Ahab's pointing the finger, Elijah stands not before Ahab, but in as he stands before him, he said, the Bible says he stood before God. He lived in the power of God. In uh, chapter 17, verse 1, it says, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord, um, the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. You know, Elijah realized that he was not standing before Ahab, in a sense, but he was standing before God. He didn't stand in his own power. He wasn't standing before a king. He was standing before God. You know, he didn't come to defy Ahab as some kind of hero, but God was his focus. And today we live in a sin-stricken world and a world of judgment, a world of intolerance, a day in which we might want to back down from the pressure that we we receiving. But we need to remember tonight that we don't stand before man or we don't stand before a society. We stand before a living God. And I'm accountable to God and not to society. And in order for us to understand the power of prayer and to learn from Elijah, we need to get the right perspective. You know, God is in control. God guides. God is giving us power and I'm standing before an almighty God, despite the world that we're living in today. So we see that Elijah, he lived in a day of wickedness. But I want you to notice as well that throughout Elijah's life and his ministry as a prophet, we see that his faith was increased. His faith was increased. In First Kings 17, verse 2, it says, And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. Throughout his life, we see that Elijah learned to depend on God. He was, at this point, he's fearing for his life. You know, he just, he just, um, spoke judgment to the most wicked king of the days. And he's fearing for his life and he learned to depend on God and God tells him, Go to the brook Cherith. And we see there that God provided for him in verses 4 and 6, that God provided uh, bread and flesh uh, by the ravens, and that there was water there for him. And God provided for him, and he learned to depend on God. But look at verse 7. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. You know, Elijah at this time, he, he probably could have been angry. You know, God, you've, you've provided for me and you've led me here and the water's dried up now. He could have been angry, but he wasn't because he trusted in God. His faith was being increased. You know, Elijah could have missed the opportunity to help someone, as we'll see uh, later in the passage. Elijah could have missed the blessing of God again 
if he chose to abandon God at that time. But Elijah knew to trust his God, and he had trusted him up to that point. So he was increasing his faith. And he saw God's blessing again and God providing again. You know, sometimes God brings us to a place in our lives where he wants us to rely on him. You know, and maybe in your life, your brook Cherith has dried up. And maybe God's trying to increase your faith tonight. You know, maybe it's a job, maybe it's a housing situation, maybe it's finances, and your your brook, so to say, has dried up. How are you going to react to that? Are we going to be upset? Are we going to be angry that God is not providing anymore? Are we going to trust in God and try to rely on Him to see how He's trying to increase our faith? You know, don't question God in these times, but let Him increase your faith. You know, there's nothing better than when you go through one of these times in your lives to see God come through if you allow him, when you rely on him and you see God work it out. So he goes from this brook Cherith and God says, you know, I'm going to provide this widow, um, or this widow is going to provide for you. In verse 8, in 1 Kings uh, 17, verse 8, we see that. And he goes to this widow and verse 10, it says, So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thy hand. And he said, As the Lord God liveth, I have not... And she said, As the Lord God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it. And die. And as I read that, I understand that she had a lot of faith, but I was thinking today, you know, Elijah had a lot of faith in God for him to say that to the, to the widow woman. Could you imagine seeing this widow woman and her son going to eat their last meal and prepare to die and say, you know what, actually, can you feed me first? You know, he had faith in God. So we see that not only was Elijah's faith increased, but we see that this widow's faith was increased as well. She had to trust the prophet of God. She's at this point of death in her life, and she gave to the man of God first. In verse 15 it says, And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. She didn't question it, she just went and did. And she and he in her house did eat many days, and the barrel of meal wasted not. Neither did the cruise of oil fail according to the word of the Lord, which which he spake by Elijah. So we see this barrel of meal wasted not, nor the cruise of oil fail. And we see this man of God, Elijah, who trusts God, and we see this brook dry up in his life. And so often in our lives, we live our lives trusting God, and our brook dries up. And rather than wavering or losing our faith, we need to increase our faith. You know, God does extraordinary things in our lives when the brook dries up. Things we know it couldn't be anything but God when we're in that place in our lives. And we see here, once again, that the barrel of meal wasted not, nor the cruise of oil fails. We see God providing once again. And then as we read throughout uh, the passage, we know about the the widow's son uh, dying. And Elijah going in and praying over the, or bringing up the boy to his, uh, 
his loft area and praying over him three times and seeing him come back alive. And in verse 24 of uh, chapter 17, the Bible says, And the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art the man of God, and that the word of the Lord in in thy mouth is truth. God will do things in our lives to increase our faith. He'll bring us to places in our lives where we might question, but we will know and we will see the grace of God if we trust and follow. But we'll also see people that will know God is in our life and see the grace of God through your life if we allow him to lead us. You know, today, if you look at your life right now, the situations that you're in, the place that God has brought you to, you are where you are today because God wants you there. He wants to increase your faith. He wants to increase the faith of others around you. He wants you to reach someone who is lost. He wants you to help someone who is also hurting. You know, at that time of um, Elijah here, it was a famine and a drought in the land. And you know, many people were hurting. And we see in uh, Luke chapter 4 when Jesus is speaking, he was saying there's many widows in those days that were during the famine. And people are going through circumstances all around us. But we see in Elijah's day that he increased his faith and he was able to help that person where Christ or where God had led him. And if we increase our faith, we could be helping someone else where God has led us in our lives. So we see that Elijah's faith was increased. But then I want you to notice tonight Elijah's prayer. Elijah's prayer, and this is where I want to focus tonight. In 1 Kings uh, chapter 18, um, verses 20 to 40, I won't read it. We know the story where Elijah goes before Ahab and says, You send your prophets of Baal, and we're going to go up to the top of Mount Carmel to see who the true living God is. Each one got a bullock and placed it on the altar of wood, and he said, Whoever God sends fire, let him be God. And we know the story of the prophets. They're yelling, and they're dancing, and they're cutting themselves, and... I think it's funny, Elijah's over there mocking them, saying, you know, maybe he's sleeping. Maybe you need to yell louder. And they're cutting themselves more, and the Bible says blood is coming from them. And they spent all day there until the evening trying to, to get Baal to send fire to, um, to, to eat up this offering. And the Bible says that no voice, no answer, or, or any that regarded and then we see Elijah's turn. And first of all, I want you to notice the preparation of prayer. The preparation of prayer in chapter 18, verse 30. It says, And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. We see here, Elijah needed to repair the altar. You know, Israel was so far from God at this time and living in such wickedness that the altar of God needed to be repaired. And in our lives today, if we want to pray like Elijah, we need to do some repair in our life. In Psalm 66, verse 18, it says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Uh, Matthew 5, verse 23 says, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar... And there rememberest that, that thy brother hath ought against thee. Leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. You know, in our lives today, don't let sin 
hinder your prayers. If we regard iniquity in our hearts, the Lord will not hear me. If we want to see the power of God's in our li- of God in our lives, we need to repair the altar. You know, if it's something that's not being used, if it's something that's being left alone, eventually it's going to fall apart. And in our prayer life, if we're not praying today, if we're not living a life that's right, we need to do some repair in our lives. You know, how's your prayer life today? How's the altar in your life? Is it falling apart? Have you spoken to God in a while? Have you, are you living in communion with Him? We need to build it back up today and make things right with God. So we see the preparation of prayer. But I want you to notice the power of prayer. The power of prayer. This is what I love about Elijah. Elijah had no limits for God. He didn't limit God in what he can do. Chapter 18, verse 32, it says, And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood and said, Fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, Do it the second time. And they did it the second time. And he said, Do it the third time. And they did it the third time. And the water ran about the altar and filled the trench also with water. As we see up to this point in Elijah's life, he had learned to trust in God. He had already seen him provide. He had already seen miracles of God. He had already seen the rain stop for three and a half years. And his faith had been increased throughout the past three and a half years. And he knows here that God's going to make himself known. And he wanted there to be no doubt in the minds of the people there that are watching who the true God was. That's why he called them in and said, come closer. And in verse 36, it says, And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood and the stones and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. Today we can see the power of God in our lives if we want it. You know, we have, we all have circumstances in our lives. We all have difficulties. We all have stress. You know, the things that keep us up at nighttime. It could be finances. It could be sickness. It could be relationship issues in our lives. And the list goes on of circumstances that we can all go through in our lives. But let me ask you tonight, what are circumstances to God? What are they to God? And just as the barrels of water on the altar of God, the power of God can prevail. Something only God can come through in our lives. We look something, sometimes we're in... Uh, a time of stress in our life, a time of difficulties, a trial in our lives, and we look at it and say, there's no way that I can come through this. There's no possible way of lighting that fire without God. 
And just like the trials in our lives, there's no possible way without God. You know, how, God, can I get come through this? Or why is this in my life? Why am I going through this time? But just like the barrels of water on the altar of God, what is it to God? Verse 39, the Bible says, And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. And if we allow God to work in our lives, to work in the circumstances in our lives, it's going to affect people around it. And when they see it, they will say, only God. Or if we allow God to work in our lives, we'll say, you know, only God was able to bring me through that. What are you going through in your life today? Where has God led you in your life today? What trials are you going through in your life? You know, the devil, if he can have one thing, he would love to see us off of our knees. He wants to see the altar of God broken down. And maybe tonight we need to do some repairing to our altars in our lives. Maybe we need to to take these circumstances of our life, these circumstances that we don't know how to cope with, and just like those barrels of water, pour it on the altar of God. Give it to God. Lay it before Him. Maybe your brook is dried up tonight. You come to a place in your life where you say, I don't know, God, you were providing, we're in such a great place. Where are you leading me now? Let me ask you, when's the last time that you've gotten on your face before God Almighty and begged the power of God in your life? When's the last time we've cried out to God like Elijah and that widow's son cried out before God on behalf of the church or on behalf of a fellow believer going through something in their life? Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. You know, we can approach the throne of God boldly. In James, where we read in uh, chapter 5, it says, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is there any sick among, among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Verse 15, And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Verse 16, pray for one another. Do you want to practice unity tonight? How often are we begging God for those in our church? How often are we on our face for those that we love? On our face for those in the church that are going through hard times? You know, we need fervent prayer in our lives today. Your family needs fervent prayer. This church needs fervent prayer you know, those are pe- there are people in the church going through sickness. There are people in the church in need of jobs. There's people in the church in need of housing. There's people in church in need of fill in the blank. Pastor needs fervent prayer as he leads this church, as we try to reach this community. Is any among you afflicted? There is. Is any any sick among you? Do you want to see the power of God in your lives, in our lives, in this church 
Are you going through a circumstance tonight? You know, oftentimes we, we try to power through it. But don't you get tired of trying to fight through those issues of life on your own? And many times the circumstances before us are impossible in our own strength. But remember, they're just barrels of water to God on his altar if we go before him. And as a church, I, I hope that as we practice unity, that we're not only praying for ourselves and our families, but we're praying for the church. We're praying for the people in this church that we're begging God to work in lives and that we'll see great things done in this church. Let's pray this evening. Our dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you hear our prayers. And I pray that you be with everyone that's here tonight, Lord, that we would examine our hearts and that if need be, we'd do some repair to the altar in our lives, that we would fix things up and get the sin right in our lives and that we would come back to a place in our lives where we're on our knees begging you for your power in our lives and praying for those around us and praying for those in the church and praying for our families. And I pray that you would do a great work in our lives and that we'd see great things done through this church as well. And we pray these things in our son's precious name. Amen.